from you It's from the bar I have a pass to Feel the light I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. It helps with the microphone. <laughs> While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers and we don't do Buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at oppression, at history, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here live from the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams live at www.letstalknative.com. That's our website. We stream live video of the show on our Facebook group page via Facebook Live. Our shows are available as podcasts on your favorite pl- podcast platforms after broadcast and now on Spotify. Um, we take the video and we put it up uh, as a video on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. So subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram uh, at Let's Talk Native TV and Twitter at Let's Talk Native. Uh, I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I'm assisted here in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and our sound. Uh, all right. Um, yesterday was MLK Day. Um, and look, I I really admire what Martin Luther King stood for, what his message was, what his purpose was. Um, I could identify much with with him uh, as well as uh, Muhammad Ali. I, you know, I've talked a lot about him and his stance on on the Vietnam War and. Uh, not just conscientious objector status, but the whole idea of black people or people of color being used by the military. Um, and, and I think MLK delivered some great speeches. And, and I think it's very appropriate for, for him to have a holiday. But I got to say, it's not my dream. You know, his I have a dream speech is a great speech. And it's a great speech if you're an American. But what if you're not? What, what if you're folks like us native people who don't fit into that mosaic i mean the the beginning of of martin luther king's speech he talks about the constitution or the declaration the declaration of independence and the constitution being a promissory note to the you know that that basically uh was a bounce check by the by the federal government that they made a promise they they created a creed that they did not live up to the problem that I have with that is they didn't, not to us, not to Native people, and, and frankly, not to black people. I mean, when they were talking about all men are created equal and uh, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all that stuff, they weren't talking about us. I mean, it wasn't a promissory note. And for anybody who wants to go on to a whole dialogue about Jeffersonian ideals and, you know, and, uh, and you know, life and liberty and all that other stuff, look, this guy was a slave old, a slave owner. I mean, so let's let's not get too carried away about the you know the, the moral authority that the, that these founding fathers had. They were aristocrats, uh, you know, aristocrats. They they looked down on, on on other white people. They were rich guys, all of them, and you know, and certainly they didn't look at native people uh, as their equals. I mean, even. When uh, folks like Franklin and others who who may have admired certain attributes of uh, of native peoples, they they still he still referred to us as ignorant savages. I mean, even when he was referencing, you know how how, how absurd it was that that five or six nations of ignorant savages could form a a, a union that was indissolvable when thirteen colonies couldn't do the same. I mean, he basically said, how could these ignorant savages do this when, when educated white men can't do it? I mean, so while I think that, you know, King's speeches, uh, you know, many of them were absolutely phenomenal. He, he often, what he was fighting for was a level playing field. He was fighting for 
social justice, constitutional rights. And as a Native person, <clears throat> I'm not looking for the same equality that he's talking about. I, when, when he says he, he has a dream that one day a man would be um, judged by the content of his character rather than the color of his skin, I get that. But I don't, I still want people to see a black man and see, a, you know, a brown person, see a native person. <clears throat> because if you don't see us, then you don't see that history, including King's history. You know, one of the things, the, the, the problems with trying to do reconciliation, not just reparations, but reconciliation I mean, there, there's one implication that you return to a place where 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 you were at peace. Well, what what if you were never at peace? But how do you reconcile? And are we saying that the two sides reconcile, or just one side has to reconcile? Uh, just you know, like face facts, get over it. You need to reconcile the fact that 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 you are now subjugated by the United States. <clears throat> I don't I don't accept that proposition. So when Martin Luther King talks about the American dream, that's not my dream. That's not, that's not what I'm, I mean, as a Native person, I'm not trying to be equal in, in the eyes of the American system. I don't want, I'm not asking for an equal vote. I'm not asking for equal representation. I'm not asking for, for civil rights. I don't. Ex I don't need the federal government to give me my right to speak uh, for to speech, or the right to arm myself. None of that stuff. What I'm saying is that we did have a free and independent existence, and we still have the right to have a free and independent existence, and free from the United States, not living free within this uh, this idea of American freedom, American liberty, because you know what? Most of that's bullshit. Let's just be honest. I mean, at the same time, they're talking about life and liberty and all that other stuff. Slavery was legal. I mean, and not just, it wasn't just legal to, to have slaves. It was, the slave trade was an industry. I mean, most, most of the slaves that in the United States in the 1860s, were were bred like animals, like like chattel, you know, chattel slavery. That's what they refer to it as, right? Only about four hundred, by by some estimates, only about four hundred thousand um, Africans were imported into the United States for slaves. I mean, I say only. I mean, it's that's a lot of people, but the vast numbers of slaves that that existed. <clears throat> In, 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 at, the, at the height of American slavery was all about bringing them in, in captivity. And you know, and the, and the crazy part is, getting back to Jefferson, some of these slaves were being raped by their slave owners and, 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 and white people. <clears throat> so to make the argument that somehow slaves are less than human, but you, but you can have sex with somebody that's less than human? Of course not. Uh, I mean, none of this stuff adds up, right? Thomas Jefferson had sex with the slaves or a slave anyway and and the kids the offspring of that of those sexual acts were slaves i mean they may have had slaves with benefits i mean i i would imagine that sally hemings did too but if you claim to own somebody and then have sex with that with that property that's sex slavery that's that's i mean and and women Native women went through the same thing. I mean, let, let's be clear about what, what the American rape culture was all about. Because in every place that white men went to, they brought not just influenza and smallpox. Much of the death that was brought as far as disease came from, from venereal disease. And, you know, and this is almost never even talked about. So, again, what I've got to say in response to the whitewashing, I mean, and, and let's be clear, when, when I hear white people just go on and on and on about 
how wonderful Martin Luther King was, or or Muhammad Ali for that matter. Y'all hated those guys. <laughs> let's be let's be honest. I mean, I was look. I I don't have much memory of of Martin Luther King, but I have plenty of memory of the racism that people had towards him even after he, after he was dead. But I also know how white people despised Muhammad Ali. You know, in much the same way that so many white people despise Colin Kaepernick today. So when I hear people talk about, oh, how great and how wonderful Muhammad Ali was or how wonderful uh, Martin Luther King was, you say that now. Now that you've appropriated his image, his message, what he stood for, and then completely whitewashed it. I mean... And what did he? What did Martin Luther King want? He wanted what you have, but that's not what I want. I mean, look, Native people have had land stolen. We have had, um, we've been removed. I mean, one of the things that it's often talking about is the, is the whole idea of a level playing field. Well, let's be clear, Native people. Our problem isn't that the playing field has made been made unlevel to to favor white people no our problem is we were evicted from the playing field we were removed from the playing field and then put someplace else we were removed from our homelands for the most part or relegated to such a small piece of our original homelands like in the case of the senecas for instance that our lives are no longer sustainable in the same way so i'm not fighting for a level playing field I'm not, you know, look, I'm not trying to get, you know, special privileges within the, the American system. I'm not lobbying Congress to pass a special law. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be counted in your census so more money can come to us or more representation. I don't think you represent us. I'm not asking for representation. I'm not asking for civil rights as an American citizen. Absolutely not. Now, many of you are. Many Native people are. I mean, I'll listen over and over and over again to the most iconic figures across Native territories that'll talk about how important it is to vote. Even Oren Lyons, Winona LaDuke, all these people are going to tell you how important it is to, to vote in the American elections. Like we're going to change something. I, I post sometimes the meme of the, the Star Wars guys and saying, okay, we're going to join the empire and fix it from within. And then it says, said no rebel ever. I mean, <clears throat> honestly, looking at, in spite, regardless of our population, but our population is so small. Does anybody really believe that Deborah Hallen and Sharice David are going to fix the federal government? Come on. They'll be changed by the federal government. Actually, they didn't need to be changed. They were, they were changed. That's how they got elected. They got elected by white people. <clears throat> and, and you know what? There's, there's, there's been plenty of Native people, and I say plenty, but there, there's been several Native people throughout the years that have reached high levels of, of, of uh, elected, elected office. Senators, congressmen. Um, <clears throat> judges <laughs> again uh, Charles Curtis Vice President of the United States under Herbert Hoover I mean there's only one spot higher than that <clears throat> but you know what he didn't do anything for Native people either so you know and, and again my my uh, topic saying sorry MLK not my dream I'm not condemning what, what MLK fought, you know, fought for but this is where the, as much as we, we have a, a, some real, real common interests and a common struggle, our goals are different. <clears throat> I am not trying to become part of we the people. <laughs> we the people who aren't you. That's what I'm talking about. We are not you. And and it's not to say that we are better or superior, but one thing is clear. Land has been stolen. Um, policies that are 
so overtly racist and wrong at so many different levels. I mean, date back to papal bulls from the church codified into U.S. law by the Supreme Court in the 1820s. Every couple of decades, another piece of legislation came to try to subjugate us into into U.S. citizenship. <clears throat> they thought, well, they they could solve the problem with the Fourteenth Amendment. They'd they'd take care of all the black all the black folks who uh, make them all citizens, but they, that didn't include us in the 1860s. So, in 1924, they tried to declare that we're all citizens. Well, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't go for all that. In fact, and they knew it too, because in 1934 they tried to pass another the Indian Reorganization Act to try to define us once again as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. But you know what? They know that failed too because today, today, if a native territory or native peoples tries to get land back through the fee to trust process, which is another bunch of BS, one of the rules says that, well, if, but if you weren't under U.S. jurisdiction in 1934, then you can't get land back. Well, if what you claim 1934 was, which was, you know this uh, another piece of legislation to put us under your jurisdiction then who you're saying wasn't you're acknowledging that many of us still aren't which isn't a bad thing now i know that there's folks out there including you know one guy uh running for the president for president who says all native people should be part of we the people no i don't think we should in fact if you're going to argue if you're going to use the doctrine of christian discovery which is proof that not only did we have a free and independent existence prior to white men showing up here, but that the way that they manipulated and created out of thin air the ability to claim that we didn't have title to land and that we were necessarily subjugated by them was it, it was all church dogma. It was made up. And, and in fact, Justice John Marshall called it pretentious. And when and pretension that has the word pretend in it, we're going to make something up that is absurd, and we're going to suggest that people are, if they're not Christian, they either they aren't human enough. In fact, there's no question that we were regarded as less than human, and and the reason I know that is because part of what is in, uh, involved with the, with the doctrine of discovery is this is this concept of terra nullis. I know some people say it different ways, but it's terra nullis. And what it means is vacant land. L- land that has no people on it. Hello, we were here. Oh, no, but we're not counting you. We're not, going to, we're not registering you in our minds as human beings because you're primitive, you're savage. That's, that's literally what, what white people did. And even today, <clears throat> well... I'll stand toe-to-toe with anybody and talk about who's primitive and not primitive. But you know what? That doctrine of Christian discovery still plagues me today. We we still have the same... Because, I mean, this gets codified into U.S. law, and then entire systems are built around it. In the U.S. and in Canada, entire systems are built on a racist church doctrine. One that, that elevates white Christians, white Christian nations, and nations that would be white and Christian above all else. Even though, even though many people say, well, that wasn't right. And you'll hear churches repudiate it. The, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples said all doctrines, policies, and practices that that are that are are based in the, on superiority of peoples based on on race and religion and eth, uh you know um nation of origin they they said that it's racist it's scientifically false legally invalid morally condemnable i'm the un said this and this couldn't be any more direct a repudiation of the doctrine of christian discovery unless it said this is a repudiation of the doctrine of, of christian discovery I mean, it's clear what they're talking about because this was the whole idea of creating a hierarchy. So, and and, and the irony is, again, 
Martin Luther King? It's Reverend. It's Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King, a Christian minister. Uh, a guy who who bought into the whole Christian dogma. And so when, and when I hear Native people, devout Christians, who, who will try to say, well, but you know, that doctrine of Christian discovery, discovery that, wasn't, that wasn't really a Christian ideal. Yeah, it was. It was. And the fact that any person of color is a Christian today, Native, non-Native, you know, whether you're Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, whatever, if you're not white and you're a Christian, you are so because of the doctrine of Christian discovery. Because, as Stephen Newcomb says, it was the doctrine of Christian domination. It was about spreading Christendom. Your existence is proof that not only does it work, or did it work, but that you're okay with it. So when I hear a Mark Charles, a Calvinist minister, running for the president of the United States, saying, oh, I'm running as a native person. Well, no, you're not. You're running as an, as an American, a Christian American, a, not just a victim of the doctrine of Christian discovery, but complicit in it. So no, Reverend King, your dream's not my dream. And you know what? And look, and I'm, I'm not condemning Martin uh, MLK for for his words or for his his actions for what he stood for. Look, accomplished some great things, but I got to tell you, I lean a little bit more towards Malcolm than I do Martin. I'm just saying. I mean, because I think you need to fight for our distinction, not for assimilation, and. Equality in the way that that many people frame it is assimilation. I mean, even the whole gender equality thing. I don't need, I mean, I have no desire for, for women to be like men. Now, they should get paid equally and they should, I mean, they, they shouldn't be um, discriminated against because of being a woman, but I mean, look, I just, I just saw, you know, something posted that said, uh, a court ruled that, um, uh, draft registration for men only, boys really, registration for boys only is, uh, unconstitutional. That's, so that's where the equal rights, I mean, this, this huge budget that, that the democratically led Congress approved, you know what their one big thing that they, that they boast about? Paid maternity leave. Maternity leave for women in the military. You uh, you sent trillions of dollars, I mean, uh, you know, $700 billion to the military budget? for and, and the biggest thing you can boast about, you give Trump his wall, you give him his Space Force, you give him all the kind of money, and, and your biggest win is maternity leave for women in the military? I'm not crazy about women in the military. I'd have no problem with them being a commander in chief, but but packing heat and 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 shooting brown people in other countries. No, I'm not crazy about that. Or, uh, you know, managing drone strikes or, or you know, launching missiles and bombs at people. No, I don't. I'm not crazy about. I'm not crazy about men doing, it, but I'm sure not crazy about women becoming this m- masculated version of themselves that's not equality that's that's homogenizing the genders i like the fact that 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 women have distinct qualities and man i i wish i wish among the distinct distinct qualities that that women felt strongly about was not war or making war all right we're almost at the bottom of the hour hey before i go i want to mention something um we are we we're doing a little bit of merchandising here, so we're trying to create a little bit of a, a let's talk native store, if you will. And you can find us on, on our website. You can go to www.letstalknative.com, and you can click onto the store. And we're right now we're we've got a bunch of designs of shirts that we're uh, that we're working with Teespring to produce. And you can go there and you can order any of these. And these not only will make a statement, and they will make a statement. I mean, some of these. Some of these will actually make some people cringe. I mean, you know, the, the whole L. Frank Baum 
uh, you know, quotes and, you know, uh, calling for annihilation. I mean, um, putting a little bit of perspective to folks like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, Runlet the Gaius and the Great Executioner. Um, now, there's some images here. Of course, we also have just nice images that say, let's talk native with John Kane. But look, if you want to make a statement, whether it's a statement of support for, for the show or just a, a, a bold political statement based on some historical truths, our shirts are some of those, uh, some of the ways you can do that. So again, go to our website, let's talk native.com, go to the store and you'll see a bunch of the, uh, the, the links to, um, to shirts you can order on Teespring and then, uh, they'll get shipped to you directly from the Teespring and, and a portion of the proceeds will come back to support uh, the work that Jake and I do here. So, um, we're, and, and I'm also going to probably look at, um, at getting some other, sh- some shirts printed. So we'll have some, um, some on hand as well. So, um, I may even bring some to a few events and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, this missing and murdered indigenous women shirt, for instance, that's, uh, that's one of our designs. We don't have this listed on the store. We should, but, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll reissue that. Uh, it is, you can't find it on, T- on Teespring, but, uh, we don't have a listed in our store, but, uh, this is uh, again, one of our designs. So, um, so anyway, uh, when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about missing and murdered indigenous women. That's why I wore the shirt today. Uh, some bad news about a young woman who's been missing since New Year's Day, um, which you know just just you know it just makes you ache to think about what uh, what our people go through. But uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back after this. Thanks for coming back. This is John King. You went off on the wrong note there. I was waiting for one more faded off note. Just drips it off. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Let's Talk Native. Uh, look, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, Let's Talk Native is sponsored by Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. Um, and Eric White in ERW Enterprises and the folks at uh, Grand River Enterprises and NWS. Um, these are our weekly or monthly sponsors. Um, I look to, to some of you all, folks out there also who, um, who do, uh, on occasion drop a check in the mail or, or, uh, throw something to us uh, on PayPal. I appreciate that. And, uh, it's one of the ways that you can support the show. And of course, as I said, you can, um, go to our store on our website, letstalknative.com and, uh, order a shirt. Uh, and, and some some of the proceeds comes back here to to, to the work that uh, Jake and I are doing, um, and you also get to make a bit of a statement with your with your apparel. Uh, so um, look, I, I want to thank not only the people who sponsor the show, but I want to thank those of you who share the show. Um, uh, we are on Spotify now, which is uh, obviously a, a major platform for podcasts. So if you are a um, a, a Spotify um, member, I guess you can you can look for us there. And by all means, share our our podcast, share our uh, YouTube channel. Um, you can share our, uh, our our Facebook live streams as well, and uh, and that's the way we you know we, we kind of get the message out. Well, look, over the years, I mean, and we're in our uh, our tenth year here, um, and so we've been doing this for a while. In New York, I'm uh, in my fifth year, sixth year altogether, but uh, fifth year as uh, as the host of Let's Talk in New York. So we've been doing this for a while, and and although the shows are a little bit different, a lot of times uh, the content works in either show. Um, but we've been doing this for a while, and we never run out of stuff to talk about, and 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 the reason is because. Look, there's always something in the news. And, you know, so the, one of the things that uh, was disheartening is there's been – I've got a list. And, in fact, one of the, the group pages I have is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And and I share a lot of the, the posts and, uh, and such, and I'm a part of a bunch of the different groups that list people who have been missing. And we, we had a, a, young, um, a young woman, a girl really, 16 years old, uh, Selena Not Afraid. Uh, who has been missing since New Year's, and, and they found her body uh, at a rest area in, in Montana. And, and of course, the initial reports, you know, the police say, oh, uh, the, they said there's no, it's, it's not a suspicious death. I, I don't know. For, if a 16-year-old dies, it's a suspicious death. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Don't, don't tell me it's not a suspicious death. There's, there's no reason for a healthy you know or for anybody 16 years old to die you know if either something you know either their health just collapsed on them 
Uh, but in all likelihood, this is a social um, disease. Missing and murdered Indigenous women is not a, um, it's not an epidemic. This is not something that is transmitted through bacteria or virus. It's not a pathogen. It's a social breakdown. And much of what leads to um, missing and murdered Indigenous men and women is the fact that on our territories, there's a lack of hope. There's a lack of any real prospect for the future. And why is that? I mean, is it because we're lazy? Is it because we're inferior? No. It's because of U.S. policy. And, and again, it goes right back to what I was talking about earlier. Doctrine of Christian discovery. Racism. Overt racism. And that overt racism <coughs> lingers. Not just lingers. It's not just a lingering. I take it back. It is a predominant view and when you look at you know prison populations, not just for for people of color, but specifically even for native people, disproportionate to our population, it's, and it's even worse on the Canadian side. I mean, there's some some prisons that have thirty percent, forty percent, and one in particular I heard had ninety percent of its of, of of the prison population was native. Native people only represent five percent of the population in Canada, less than one, uh, less than seven tenths of a percent in uh, in the U.S. But policy has created the abject poverty. And even in places where, where it's not just about poverty because you can't solve the problem by just throwing money at it. It's the fact that people have been removed. They've, they've been demoralized through 100 years of residential schools. Well, first off, being stripped from, the, from their homelands, being pushed off into either out-of-the-way places, and I mean literally out of the way because that was the whole point. Where are we going to put Indians? And then corral us up into, into small areas that are, that are where our lives that we live for thousands and thousands of years are no longer sustainable. So we've got to comply with the dominant culture around us. You know, and, and the thing is, if you're born into this and you're raised this way, you're going to have a legacy of problems. You know, and, and, and for those kids who have been stripped from our territories and raised by white people, they may have a leg up. Especially if there's something gnawing at them that brings them back to, you know, to work with Native people. I, 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 look, I'll give you an, an example. Tara Hauska, she's, um, uh, she's got a law degree. She's worked in Washington for a number of years. I, you know, I think she even worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2016. She's a, uh, you know, um, an advocate for native issues. She's an activist. Um, she, um, you know, stepped up on the mascot issue as well. So just recently, she's she's traveling, and I don't know where she was in Minnesota or something. And she goes through the TSA, you know, checks there, and the 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 tsa guard or whatever you call it, agent um and and one of the things that's uh, most notable about um tara house is she's got long she wears her hair in, in two braids long braids so this tsa agent from behind grabs her two braids and snaps them like reins and says giddy up and and so tara house is is obviously humiliated it's you know it's i mean for one thing not only are you treated like an animal I mean, literally, if she was being treated like a beast of burden. But the idea is somebody feels like they can have permission to touch you. And, you know, and, and, and this is something that the black people and native people experience a lot. People want to touch her. I mean, even as a man, uh, because they have a ponytail. Some people just feel like they have the right, especially women, they feel like they have the right to touch, touch you. I, I remember being someplace with my wife and, and a woman literally grabs my ponytail and runs her hand down through my ponytail with my wife standing right there. And they think it's okay. But the interesting thing, and, and, and I got to say this because I, I saw you know, the story a couple of times and, and the TSA has apologized and, and I don't know if they've done anything to make it right. Um, but I saw somebody post and they said, Tara Houska is a, uh, is a lawyer. Or an, I don't know if they said an attorney or a lawyer, and they said they picked the wrong woman to humiliate. And and I immediately thought, 
there's a right woman to humiliate? I mean, was there... I mean, that implication was that because she's an attorney, because she's educated in the white world, and and frankly, in her case, because Tara Hauska is one of those those native kids that was part of one of the the sixty scoop or whatever else, maybe not that long ago, but um, where she was uh, raised by white people, so she's raised with a certain amount of white privilege, even though she's not white. So when she experiences something like this, this has got to be a little bit of a culture shock. I mean, like Native people who've been persecuted by racism for, for years and years um, could see something like this coming. Now, I'm not saying that, that somebody who has been conditioned to be the victim of racism wouldn't have stood up. In fact, there's a good chance that, that, you know, that somebody could have got their face uh, smacked if, uh, depending on who it was. But when I saw somebody said they picked the wrong woman to humiliate, because she was educated and basically, you know, has lived a privileged life. I'm thinking, wow, that's wrong. There's, there's no right woman to humiliate. And to suggest because of her, her education that that was a poor selection. I, so in other words, if you can find somebody who's not educated, somebody who you think is, uh, who has been beaten down their whole lives, that's, a, that's somebody that's, that's, a safer person to to humiliate? I don't know. I mean, anyway, look, and I'm not, you know, I'm not condemning Tara Hauska. And in fact, I'm glad she went public with this and, and, and made the noise out of it, and that kind of stuff. But but man, don't tell me that that somehow the TSA picked the wrong woman to to humiliate. There's no right woman to humiliate. I mean, Jesus, I don't know. Anyway, I, I had to I had to talk about about that. One thing I want to bring up. So five years ago, um, I was asked, and, and I was glad I was asked. I was asked to be part of a committee. Um, one of uh, Al Parker, a friend of mine, uh, reached out to me and said, John, I know you do, you know, you're in the media and, and you, you speak out a lot about a lot, a lot of these issues. He says, I was just re- contacted by the Lancaster, um, I, th- I think it was the superintendent, the school board, but certainly it was the superintendent, I guess, that reached out to Al and said, would you mind putting a group of Native people you know, maybe a cross section of Native people that could come meet with us to offer a Native perspective on the mascot issue. And the reason? <laughs> because the Lancaster School District used the R word, Redskin, as their um, as their nickname. And of course, they had you know Native images and, and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, in fact, uh, um, Jay, give me that shirt there. I'll give you. A, uh, I'm never sure what I was ever going to do with this, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess I can finally put this on display. All right. So, so there, there's the. Uh, um, let me see. If I get this best way possible. There's the logo for the Lancaster Redskins and. Uh, there we go in, in in more of a bold print there there it is and and of course the t-shirt is is um it's even got like splatter print on it like i don't know if that's supposed to be blood splatter or whatever else i don't know what else you call it but, but anyway so that was the lancaster high school five years ago and so i participated in this committee and uh today's the anniversary the first time that we uh, as a group and and that group included not only Al Parker but a couple of um, professors from uh, from uh, uh, UB uh, uh, University of Buffalo and uh, Alan Jameson who is a an artist. So it, it had a it had a neat kind of cross section of people participating and and of course myself. So we went and we we went to Lancaster High School and my, and my daughter just posted up the the video and I shared it. Um, it. It gives a little bit of an excerpt. The video is not great but the audio is pretty clear. Um, about what what I offered in what was considered a, a work session with the uh, school board and administrators. And this was in the public. I mean, lots of people could have attended if they wanted to. Hardly anybody did. I think just uh, uh, one of the, the strong pro-mascot women showed up there and, and the folks at RAT went with us uh, to this thing. But um, I explained, because I went to a high school that had a, that still to this day, they're called the Cambridge Indians. And I was one of the only Native people in the school. So you get dubbed with these 
you know these names like Chief and Wahoo and Wapu and you know you know somebody thinks you're cute by calling you Pocahontas or you know or in some cases look I I even even things like uh, um, uh, Red Nigger or Prairie Nigger these these you know you know especially your buddies who think that they can they can get away with calling you something it's like like a guy calling his buddy a bitch or something like that so you, you but you realize that this has racial undertones this isn't just you know, guys being uh, kind of raucous or raunchy to each other. I mean, it, it does have a, a racial component to it. So, but anyway, that's that's where I went to high school, and but and and that's the experience when you're when you're one of the only native people in a school that decides that they're gonna they're gonna use that name. Now, what if there's nobody nobody there? Then what you've done is you're gonna keep perpetuating this idea that you can create a stereotype. And view Native people through the lens that you created for them, the image that you created for them. Now, the other thing I told Lancaster, uh, the, uh, the folks there uh, from the administration and school board, was I gave them, uh, again, the, the image of the Philadelphia Eagle fan who takes a, uh, brings a duffel bag into a, a football game when they're playing the, the Washington football team, and he pulls out a rubber head that he's got made up to look like a Native person with a headdress and with war paint on. Across the forehead, it says red skin, dead skin. And then he impales that rubber head with a sword and holds it up at the football game to, to cheering and adoring fans. And, and Al smiles all the way around. You, you, you can find this image on, on, on the Internet. Just look for you know, impaled Indian head and you'll, you'll find it. Um, and, and, but, but what I, it wasn't just the outrage of it. When I asked the school board is, can you imagine me going to a game like that with say my seven-year-old grandson at the time? Can you imagine bringing a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or six-year-old? I mean, I don't even older than that to a football game. And seeing that image and then having to explain that, especially if you're native. I mean, if you're if you're not native, you can just write it off to say, no, yeah, it's not us. But no, it it is intended to, to be a mockery of us. And like I said, you wouldn't take a, a, a black head, put it in a noose and hold it up there, representing the quarterback of the other team. But impaling an Indian head that says red skin, dead skin on it. Can you? Um, so I explained that to the to the school board, and I said, "Can you? Can you even imagine?" And they there was like silence. Now, that was our first meeting. After that, you know, we, you know, our group and and many other people, you know, look, I I, I played it up. I was in the media. I, I did a newspaper interview. I did was on radio. I, I think I did a television spot. I talked about this issue and and why the school should change its name. And and I told the folks at Lancaster, the the reality is. Your school has the worst name of all because the word redskin is a racial slur. And among the, the etymologies of that word, one is directly associated with this notion of scalping native people and those skins, those scalps being the redskins or the bloody mess left after you scalp a red-skinned person. <laughs> now, there's also an irony that as the football season wound down, <laughs> the two remaining uh, teams are the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, most people aren't even going to consider the the ir- irony of that. But when you lo- when you look back and, and you look up um, bounties for Native people, for scalps, the two images that you'll get immediately, one of them comes from the 1700s, I think like 1753, while the, um, uh, while the colonies were under British rule. So King George is issuing, you know, has authorized this proclamation to pay for scalps. The other one comes from the, um, uh, the 1800s. And it's associated with, uh, trying to rid the, uh, rid the Indians. And it's right around the same time. That the gold rush happens. So if you're not familiar with why the San Francisco team calls themselves the 49ers, the 49ers were the gold rush guys. And part of, you know, the challenge of, of chasing gold in, in, in this gold rush was ridding yourselves of the native people. And that's why bounties were being paid for, for native scalps.
So the idea that you got a team with a native mascot and and it's adoring fans doing the tomahawk chop, playing a team whose mascot represents a group of Americans whose gold lust led them down the path of uh, of genocide as well, to committing genocide. Not missed by me. But anyway, going back to Lancaster. <laughs> so after we met with the school board and we participated in some of um, these, these, social, these, these community meetings, and I went to a few board meetings, um, school board meetings, which were really, really colorful. Um, uh, and after a couple of the teams, uh, high school teams around here that had native kids on them, like uh, uh, Lakeshore, um, uh, Akron, and Niagara Wheatfield, so Akron being the Senecas uh, from Tonawanda, Lakeshore being the Senecas from here, from wh- closer to where I live, and the uh, um, Niagara Wheatfield being where the Tuscaroras live. Those teams said, no, we're boycotting. We're, we will not play. And some of these were girls' teams. Some of these were boys' teams. And they said, no, we're, we're not going to compete against uh, Lancaster because they're a bunch of racists. They, they talked about their experience when they had to compete. Oh, yeah, yeah, just in case you're wondering. We've got on the image here. Thanks, Jake, for pulling it up. That's the image of the impaled Indian head, the, the Philadelphia Eagles fan would not would, would take that thing uh, to football games. He also that same guy. By the way, I, I'll get back to my story. That same guy, when the Philadelphia Flyers, you don't have to look for this one. <laughs> when the Philadelphia Flyers played the Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup, he put himself in orange face paint and show up with that and would say Blackhawks, Dead Hawks across the face and not only would he be in the stands with this impaled indian and that's not that many years ago folks but the the network that was covering the stanley cup playoffs which i think was the versus network they actually used that image only just picture him in orange the same image image that same guy with an impaled indian head used it for the for the uh the graphic behind when they went to commercial and, and put the scores up so imagine that image with, you know, the the, the team scores on, on it as you before you go to commercial or when you come back from commercial. That's how acceptable the idea of this kind of violence and this kind of imagery is, especially if you're gonna, uh, you know, be okay with with um, uh, with with native mascots. All right, back to Lancaster. So, so what happens is um, uh, these teams boycott. They said, no, we're not we're not going to compete. Well, so. In January is when I begin my participation in this process. All things said and done, including threats of violence and, and all kinds of stuff to the, to the superintendent and to the board members, this, uh, the school board voted unanimously in, in the spring sometime. I think it may have only been like three or four months after, you know, in, into the year. They voted to retire. They were going to try to do it during the summer break, but they didn't even make it that far, especially with the boycotts. And uh, so they voted unanimously to retire the Redskins and their native logo, um, uh, retire it from uh, from the school. And you know what? Lancaster's done just fine after that. I mean, the the walls didn't collapse. The world didn't come to an end. None of that stuff. Uh, they are called the Lancaster Legends now, and they have a a knight in shining armor as their as their mascot. Um, but again, uh, you know, you know, the years fly by, and I realized, you know, because my daughter posted the video and then I shared it, that, um, you know, this is the, this is the work that many of us do, you know. So when I, on the last show I talked about being idle no more and realizing that, look, we can pick any number of things and several things if need be to be involved in environmental issues, missing and murdered Indigenous women, the mascot issue, social justice issue, speak out. Speak out about the, you know the disproportionate number of people in prison. You know, help with mental health. Do, do some volunteer. Do something. I'm not saying just go out and protest and be active and you know get yourself arrested. I'm not saying confront the police or confront anybody. There is work to be done. But the biggest thing that we need to do, which which solves or which addresses so many of the problems that are that are, uh, that plague our people is we have to empower and encourage our youth. They've got to be encouraged to um, make the changes that we couldn't. They've got to know, let's not tell them to go pray. Let's not tell them to, uh, to not get involved. Let's, look, I know we, have, we fear for our kids, 
But I will be more fearful to my kids and my grandkids if we do nothing. I'd rather send my kids on the front line to one of these battles than to worry about some pervert picking them up because they're walking home from school. We need to do more. We need to clean up our communities. We do need to empower our youth. And I don't mean throw money at them or video games. I'm not even, I mean, what do you, I mean, there used to be a thing is what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm not saying we got to find out what our kids want to be when they grow up, but we should make sure that we explore as many possibilities, especially the possibilities for them to do something meaningful in their communities. I don't mean go to space, be an astronaut, astronaut, or go study law and be a lawyer in Washington or, you know, or, or whatever. No. For anybody who says the key to the success is education. Well, I got, I got news for you. The idea of sending our kids to be educated in that system out there. A system that every university promotes globalization, the global economy. You check it. Almost every university says, we are preparing young people for, uh, for the global economy. Bullshit. I want to prepare our young people for the local economy. We need to rethink what it is that we think we're doing to help our children. Because if we're, if we're going to encourage them to, to be Christians and to be soldiers and to be lawyers and to be doctors and to be all these things, that they're not going to come back here. They're not going to be back in our territories. And if we're going to say, oh, the best and the brightest, they need to leave. We need to find our brightest kids and send them to Harvard so they can go have a career out there and be successful. We're already suggesting that leaving our communities is the pathway to, for, for success. We better, we better rethink this, folks. And that's the activism that is missed. And, and I'm not saying this is activism that's going to get you arrested or and locked up in prison. I won't condemn those that do that either. <laughs> I did. I had, I had my time. I had my time. But I'm saying we need to be active with our, with our young people. And you know what? It isn't even just our young people. We need to educate the non-native people and the non-native young people as well. Part of going into Lancaster to explain what's wrong with a native mascot, those people had no idea. Honestly, I'm going to tell you, when I first sat with those people, I think out of seven board members, I think there was only one that was strongly against the native mascot issue. There were two that were on the fence, and I think there were about four of them that were, were, were dead set at, at keeping the, the mascot issue. But on our first meeting, I saw a change. I saw some of those people come off the fence and say, yeah, I never thought about it that way. Look, that's how we make change. That's how we make change. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, again, look, uh, sign up for our podcast. Look for our, uh, our store on our website, letstalknative.com, and um, subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.